Well, hopefully with a microphone strapped to my face, I'll be able to differentiate the things in front of me this evening. I will ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We'll be looking together at verses 1 through 14 of this wondrous chapter. Before reading from God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our God, we are grateful for the privilege that it is to gather and to study Your Word. May we, as Your pilgrim people throughout this earthly life, never tire of gathering and hearing of Your Word, whether in this place or wherever in Your providence You may call us in the future. May we grow in our love for Your church. May we grow in our love for the Lord Jesus, the one who has laid down his life for sinners, the one who brings us eternal and lasting comfort. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Please be seated. In God's providence, we come tonight to this chapter of John's Gospel. And this portion of John's Gospel from here through chapter 17 is frequently referred to as the farewell discourse of Jesus, leading to the high priestly prayer, words that are recorded for us only in John's Gospel narrative. This very night, Jesus will be handed over by His betrayer. He will be tried in that kangaroo court and handed that verdict of guilty for crimes that he, of course, is innocent of, sentenced to death, and then crucified that painful and shameful death upon the cross. Jesus knows that this is coming. He is fully aware that his hour, as John has spoken of it throughout the gospel, has now arrived. His suffering, his agony, is right around the corner, and yet he takes this time with his disciples in this intimate setting to slow down, to wash their feet, to institute the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, to teach them about the coming comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit, and to offer these words of comfort here in John 14. 
Judas, his betrayer, has already left. We see that in chapter 13, verse 30. And he is left with the eleven, his chosen band of disciples, men who will struggle, who will doubt, but who will soon, by God's grace, come to understand the atoning work of their precious Savior. As they see their risen Lord, as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within their hearts, their lives will be utterly transformed, and the world will never be the same. As we consider the words of Jesus to these 11 men here in chapter 14, I think what we see is a wonderfully tender Savior who comforts not only these men whom He dearly loves, but these are words of comfort that He continues to offer to His beloved children even today. As we look at this text, I think it's worth asking, first of all, the question, why? Why are these men in need of comfort? These are men who were with Jesus for three years in His public ministry, and we know from the gospel narratives that even up until the very end of that public ministry, they were confused over the identity of Jesus and the purpose for which He came. We see that even here in the questions from Thomas and Philip. They were thinking in terms of a grand display of power at the hands of Jesus. They were thinking of one who would lead an uprising to produce their freedom from Roman oppression. And of course, they were thinking for themselves in terms of positions of influence and authority that would come because they are closest to Jesus. But then as he stoops to wash their feet and returns to his place at the table, he says things like this, not all of you are clean. One of you will betray me. You will seek me, but where I am going, you cannot come. And to Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. These are disturbing words, troubling words for these men to hear. If you were there as one of his disciples and you heard such bleak words, how might you react? Not just sadness and sorrow, but this would be discouraging, deflating, perplexing. You followed Jesus for three years. You have heard amazing things. You have seen wondrous, miraculous signs. You have observed unwavering character, faith, and holiness of life in this beloved rabbi. But now these words of Jesus speaking of his betrayal by one of their own, talking about his departure to a place in which they cannot follow, speaking of the denial of his own disciples, this just doesn't seem to fit with what they have come to know of him at least what they presume to know of Him. What should they make of these things? And Jesus knows what the disciples are experiencing. He knows their inner turmoil. He knows that these words of prediction to them are discouraging, and He knows that the circumstances that will be coming in their lives in just a matter of hours will shake them to their core. Now think for a moment about the relevance of these words of comfort for your own life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Where are you facing uncertainty, heartache, sorrow, discouragement? Perhaps at one point in your life you were very optimistic about the future, just as the disciples had been as they followed Jesus in those three years of public ministry. But now circumstances are not what you had envisioned. People are not who they were supposed to be. And this is why he tenderly says to them and to us, let not your hearts be troubled. 
It's a command. It's an exhortation, but it's one that is filled with promise. We need these words of comfort. And if you do not sense that you need these words now, you will. It is just a matter of time in your own life until you will need to take these words of your Savior and draw upon them, take them deep within. Now, Jesus is not only fully aware of their inward struggle, but notice, secondly, the loving exhortation to believe. We see it again in verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. And we see this later, look down to verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, the disciples were all good Jewish boys who were taught the Scriptures from a young age. They were taught to believe in the words of Scripture as God's own words to them, and they were taught to trust in those words of Scripture. And now Jesus is saying to them, take that same level of belief that you have had for the Word of God and believe in My words. And you can believe in My words because I and the Father are one. I always do His will. I always speak the truth. I am always trustworthy. And so believe in Me. When I make a promise to you, when I tell you that something is true, believe Me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, when troubles arise in life, anybody can say to you, it's going to be okay. Things are going to work out. It'll be fine. But as well-intentioned as those words might be, they're really vain and empty words, aren't they? I was watching something a few months ago, and the main character said, it's okay. Everything will be okay. And the reply was, how do you know? And he said, I don't know. That's just something that people say to each other to make themselves feel better. But Jesus is not offering empty words of comfort. He is not speaking sentimental words that have no substance. We can believe Him because His words are God's Word, and what we know about the nature and the character of God gives substance and truth to the words of Jesus. God is unchanging. His words are always true. It is impossible for God to renege on His promises. He cannot lie and say something that He will go back on. There is certainty in His words. He is trustworthy in nature. And all of those attributes about the Lord, God's unchanging nature, are true of Jesus as well. For as He says here, He and the Father are one. Believe in the words of Jesus. Now, this might seem obvious enough, but it's worth reminding ourselves, you cannot believe His words unless you know His words. And so, this presumes that you are listening to the words of the Lord, that you are longing to know His words. The more you know His Word, the more you grow to understand the Bible and His truth, the more you will know what you are to believe and what you are to rest in. And the way to keep your heart from being troubled is to believe His Word, to know His Word. And this is our calling, to believe in the words of our Savior and to trust in the promises of God. Well, let's go on and consider thirdly the words of comfort that Jesus offers. There's the need for comfort. There's the loving exhortation to believe and trust in His words. And so now look at the content 
of these words of comfort. And there's a number of things to notice about the content of these comforting words. Notice first that as he speaks of comfort, Jesus speaks of our heavenly home. In my Father's house are many rooms. And in the Bible, heaven is spoken of in different ways. It's called an inheritance that has been purchased for us by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We read of heaven as a place of feasting, a place in which we will behold the glorious face of our Savior for all of eternity. It's a place in which there is unspeakable joy, in which sin and all of the effects of sin are removed definitively. And here Jesus speaks of that final destination as the house of our Heavenly Father. Now think of a time when you have been away from your home for a time, perhaps a long business trip in which things just didn't work out the way in which you had hoped and planned, even a family vacation in which you meticulously planned all of your details, but the illness of one of your children or the weather just didn't cooperate with those plans, or even a family reunion in which there's those extended family members who were always at tension with one another and it was just an uncomfortable environment. And what did you want more than anything? Just to go home. Just to maybe pad in a couple of days of vacation at the end of that vacation so that you can rest in your own comfortable and safe home. Home is the place where you find peace and acceptance and comfort. And what a wonderful image of our heavenly destination. It's this reality that Jesus intended for His disciples to be mindful of. This perspective of where we are going This is where the gaze of our hearts is to be set. This is our home. This is where we are heading. This, you see, is what should bring us comfort. As much as our earthly home might be a place of refuge, this present age is not our ultimate rest, for we are a pilgrim people on our journey toward this heavenly home, this which is permanent and a safe resting place. And so first, again, there is comfort knowing that our true home is coming. Second, there is comfort in the reality of Jesus as our forerunner. Jesus goes on to speak of His departure as a good thing. I go, He says, to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus here is not just talking about the temporal order of things, that He is going to arrive before their arrival, but rather He is speaking of His atoning work and that it is His atoning work that will pave the way for their entrance into this heavenly home. Charles Ross comments by saying, the very thing on account of which they were sorrowful turns out to be the cause of unspeakable joy. They were perplexed and discouraged with the prospect of their Lord leaving them, but they will soon come to understand that this departure is necessary in order to guarantee our arrival. This heavenly home is being prepared by our Savior, and in the meantime, He continues to prepare a people for that place that He is preparing. And how does He prepare His people? Again, through His word of truth. Thy word, O Lord, is truth. Consider in your own life, how are you preparing yourself for this heavenly destination? How are you taking advantage of the opportunities before you to prepare for that glorious place with this glorious Savior? 
And so there is comfort in our home going. There is comfort knowing that Jesus has prepared that way. And third, there is comfort in the personal nature of His preparation. I go to prepare a place for you. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, as Paul says in Colossians 3. He knows each of His children personally, and these are words of promise spoken directly to each one of His dear children. This is a promise that can bring you comfort because there is a place prepared for you. Imagine that you're traveling on a long journey in which you've gone through troubling and difficult circumstances, and in the distance is a warm and inviting-looking place. And as you get closer, the door is opened, and you are greeted by name. You are shown a room that has been prepared for you. Delicious food, all your favorites are there prepared for you to eat. A warm bed with your favorite fleece blanket fresh out of the dryer. Clothes that fit you just right. It's a place that has been prepared for you. He knows you, and He is preparing a place for you. Believe His words and trust that He will come for you and take you home. And don't you see how that reality helps to drive out the fears and the troubles of this life? If you know that this is your destination, if you know the end, you may not know a lot of the things along the journey, but you know the destination and how that helps when that hardship comes. If you know for certain where you will end up, doesn't that bring you comfort in the midst of trials? At the service for Mrs. Allen on Friday morning, Pastor McWilliams made mention of this, that for Elizabeth there was hardship as her mind and as her body deteriorated in those final days. There was apprehension in going through something, of course, that she had never experienced before. But there was no fear because she knew the outcome. She knew that she was about to arrive at her heavenly home, an entrance secured by her loving Savior, a place for her. And this, this place, you see, is where the glorified body of our Savior resides at this very moment. This is where all of the dear saints in the Lord have gone and will remain until that final day. There is no more sin. There is no more separation from our Savior. There is no more sorrow. There is no more death. The journey is over. This house is where all His redeemed children will be for all of eternity. But there's even more in the words of comfort of Jesus. Notice, fourthly, the comfort in the reality of His return. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again for you. The promise, again, is to be with Him forever. As Jesus speaks of His departure… Again, think of the unchanging nature of God's Word. If Jesus says that it will happen, it will happen. He speaks definitively about His departure from this world. The disciples will see in a short time that those words came to fulfillment. And if that happens, there is that same level of certainty that Jesus will return at the end of the age for His own. Someone has said that the chief ingredient for heavenly happiness is to be with the Lord forever. As Adam's been preaching through 1 Thessalonians, 
Remember chapter 4, verse 17, that upon the return of Jesus, so shall we be with Him forever. And then finally, the greatest comfort of all is Jesus Himself. Jeremiah Burroughs writes that while a gracious heart praises God for His works, that heart is not satisfied with that alone but longs to praise the Lord for who He is in Himself. As much as there is great comfort from all of the benefits that are ours in Christ Jesus, the ultimate comfort is Jesus Himself, having Jesus, knowing Jesus, being in union with Jesus. Christ Himself is the greatest comfort of all. Here in verse 6, John records the sixth I am statement of Jesus in his gospel narrative. And when we come to those I am statements of Jesus, remember that points us back to Exodus chapter 3, in which God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as the great I am, the self-existent and the eternal one. And when Jesus takes those I am words upon himself, it is a self-disclosure of his very nature a continual identification of equality with God the Father. And notice what Jesus is saying about Himself here in verse 6. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Pastor McWilliams spoke of this this morning in his sermon. Here is the claim of the exclusivity of the gospel. It is not what our pluralistic society wants to hear, but God's Word is abundantly clear. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. I am the truth. Jesus doesn't just say true things, but He is the truth. He never speaks falsehood. He never speaks wasted, extraneous, meaningless words. All that He says is true and weighty and good and gracious. He is completely reliable in all that He says, in all that He does, in all that He is. I am the life. He is the one who has created life at the beginning, and He is the one through, who, through His resurrection life who imparts new life to those who trust in Him. He gives His life for the life of the world. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, where are you going? Without Jesus, you are just lost in this life and in the next. Without the truth, there is no way of knowing if you are on the right path or not. Your life would be filled with uncertainty without Jesus. Without the life, there is no living. You might gain the whole world but forfeit your soul if you do not know the life of Jesus. And so as the disciples hear these words… Notice how faith is needed to believe that these things are true. Their faith is about to be tested. In many ways, the things are going to get worse for them before they get better. And they must remember that Jesus is the way when He is hanging upon the cross and appears defeated. They must believe that He is the truth when the lies of evil men seem to triumph. They must have faith that He is the life when His corpse is lying in the tomb in a matter of hours. And our faith will be tested as well. For us, in many ways, things will get worse before they get better. 
but it is the hope of the resurrection life to come that enables us to transcend the troubles of this world. Believe His words. Know where you are going. Rest with certainty that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is coming again, and He will take us to the place that He has prepared for us, a place that He has secured through His shed blood. These are the words that we are to encourage each other with, words of great comfort and assurance. What kindness of our sovereign Lord to save us from the condemnation of our sins. What mercy to offer these words of comfort to us and to preserve them for us throughout the ages that we might read of them and draw upon these promises in our own lives. What persevering love to hold us in His tender hands and to bring us all the way to our heavenly home. Elder Valenti read from Isaiah 40 this morning before our worship service. It was our call to worship this evening. And in that same chapter, we read that He is a tender shepherd who gathers His lambs in His arms, who carries us close to Himself, who gently leads us to this final day. May God be pleased to take the comfort of His Word and to write it upon the hearts of His children.